0: The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Are you ready? It's just my sexy boy. It's your hard-out, girls. Hands off the merchandise a stopper, Mr. Wrestlemania. They generate into something cool. we just got tired of doing what you told us to do, that's a brace boy, yeah. Will you love Son Michaels or you hate him, it's really irrelevant, he's a magnificent athlete. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before, why? Because I can. I've got the looks, the drives are cool, while I've got the moves, The really move I say chill, up and down their spine, I'm just a sexy boy, I'm not your boy, toy. Hello and welcome to the Heartbreak Kid Pod. Proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Si, and today we are looking at WrestleMania 7 that came to us from the LA Memorial Sports Arena on the 24th of March, 1991. There's quite a few historic notes, I guess, with regards to this particular WrestleMania. Uh, First of all... With regards to the match that we're looking at today as we go through Shawn Michaels' WrestleMania career show by show by show. uh, This is the final time Michaels wrestled as part of the Rockers at WrestleMania. And also connected to that, I guess, this is the final WrestleMania match for Marty Gennetti. He had opportunities uh, in in the years that came after this with regards to WrestleMania matches. I mean, for example, when we look at the next WrestleMania match in Shawn Michaels' career. His first solo outing at WrestleMania 8, he is facing Tito Santana. That was supposed to be Marty Jannetty, but Jannetty got himself in a bit of trouble and couldn't actually attend the show. Uh, And that was a running theme with Jannetty's career, as everyone's probably well aware. Lots of drug issues and other criminal activity causing him to miss events, get fired over and over again and so on. Uh, similar to Marty Giannetti, this is also the last WrestleMania appearance for Jim the Anvil Neidhart. This is the last TV match shown live uh, for the Hart Foundation tag team. Jim Neidhart would go on and wrestle in other tag teams and go to WCW and, and knock around a little bit whilst Brett went on to a solo career. Uh, this is obviously March of 91, SummerSlam 91, so the August. Brett wins his first solo title uh, and you know his career just sort of takes off, whereas... Night Hearts, again, similar to Giannetti, he had drug issues. He got fired at one point for refusing to take a drugs test. No, Not even failing it, just refusing to take one, which says uh, quite a bit, I guess. And also, similar to the Heart Foundation, this is the last televised match for Demolition. They kind of faded away after this WrestleMania. Uh, Demolition Axe was already gone. We had Smash and Crush in the uh, WWF at this point. Smash would go on to be the Repo Man and Crush would disappear for a while before coming back as the sort of Hawaiian vibe Crush and so on. Um, but the WWF at this point had signed the the Road Warriors, had signed the Legion of Doom. So we ended up with them kind of getting pushed very much to the forefront of the WWF tag team division. And Demolition, again, I suppose Axe and Smash were demolition. Crush, for what he did well, he... It never really sat right with me having Crush and Smash. I I understand Axe had his heart issues and he was getting older and and he sort of had to be phased out. And it's a clever way of trying to deal with those issues, I guess. But it never quite worked for me. Axe and Smash were always the the definitive version of Demolition. But uh, there we go. It's also the WrestleMania debut, this show, WrestleMania 7, of The Undertaker. He was obviously going to have that incredible long undefeated streak which i think shouldn't really have ever been beaten to be fair it's far too historic but there we go it is what it is and it's also i suppose uh, with regards to importance to, to this project i'm working on now looking at Shawn michael's pay-per-view career starting with the wrestlemanias the first time sean wins a match at wrestlemania so that's quite interesting as well the show was attended by sixteen thousand one hundred and fifty-eight people, with only sort of ten and a half thousand of those paying, according to various different reports online. Uh, but the 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 original aim for this WrestleMania was to be a much larger, grander scale show. Um, I suppose kind of similar to how we have WrestleManias now in these big, vast NFL football stadiums, and I think it's the LA Raiders' home ground. Was where this WrestleMania was scheduled to take place. If you go back and watch WrestleMania 6, depending on where you see it, because I think it might be cut off on the network, but if you've got an old DVD or VHS tape or whatever, you might see it there. WrestleMania 6 actually runs an advert telling people that the following year, WrestleMania 7, so the one we're looking at today, will be at the LA Memorial Coliseum, which is where the Raiders were playing at the time. And it could take up to 100,000 people. So very much on the level of these massive, incredible stadium shows that we see for WrestleManias in the modern era, back here in 1991. The problem was, tickets didn't sell. Now, the WWF, for years, put a spin on this as being um, a venue change for security reasons. Um, and the big the big issue for security was the headline match for this particular pay-per-view was Hulk Hogan taking on Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter had uh, turned his back on the United States and was a Iraqi sympathiser, as the term was used on commentary and so on quite often. And he was talking about Winning the WWF title for Saddam Hussein and he was going to go to WrestleMania and defeat Hogan for Saddam Hussein and all of Iraq and so on. And this is obviously during the the Gulf War and, you know, real life soldiers, men and women were dying out there. It's an incredibly bad taste. Horrifically done. Really, really poor, poor taste, uh, angle, storyline, etc. And uh, the foreign heel, the evil bad guy from, from overseas, has always been something that happens in professional wrestling. You go back to... I mean, even, you know, with regards to Fritz von Erich, the the, the Texas Tornado's father and, the, and the, you know, the, the main guy from world-class championship wrestling from the Territory Days and so on, his name, von Erich, was because he originally played an evil German after the, first, uh, sorry, after the Second World War. Obviously, in the 80s, we had the issues with the Cold War and the Russians, so you had lots of evil Russian bad guys. And this is, I suppose, the, the Iraqi sympathiser role Slaughter played it, I suppose is just the next step in these quite distasteful racist gimmicks I guess but this one was particularly in bad taste because the war was still going on and well I say the war was still going on the war actually finished shortly before Wrestlemania how inconvenient for Vince and the boys, eh? but there we go never mind but yes, they uh, the, the W.F. reported that the venue change was to bring it to an indoor venue, the much smaller um, sports arena in L.A. So I think it's I think it's part of the same complex and so on. But uh, a yeah, much smaller indoor arena because it was going to be incredibly difficult to police uh, and keep the wrestlers you know safe. And Sergeant Slaughter, the big evil, nasty Iraqi sympathizer heel, was genuinely receiving death threats and people were talking about shooting him um, and and all sorts of other stuff so the WWF span it as we're moving to the smaller arena just to be on the safe side however the issue being here was more so the ticket sales i mean according to people like bruce pritchard and and various other people who who worked in the WWF at the time the safety of the wrestlers and, and sergeant slaughter was in their mind but at the same time, if they could have sold... I don't doubt for a second. You look know how distasteful some of the things that Amar has done. I don't doubt for a second that if they'd sold 100,000 tickets for the, uh, for the stadium show, that they would have made this choice. There's no way on earth they would have made this choice. you know. And the fact that come February time, so a month or so before the actual pay-per-view takes place, they'd only sold 10,000 10, tickets, something in that region. I think that says a lot, really, as to as to why it was moved. Uh, this isn't the first time this venue has, has hosted a WrestleMania, but it is the first time this venue hosted a WrestleMania on its own. This was one of the trio of venues used for WrestleMania 2 back in 1986. And again, quite a novel idea, I guess. Running a WrestleMania from three separate venues. Each venue had its own card and its own... Uh, I suppose its own main event, a Battle Royal headlined one show, Um, Hogan versus Bundy in a cage headlined the pay-per-view overall, but also headlined another show. And I'm I'm not sure what the other other venue had, maybe a tag team title contest potentially, was headlining the third venue. And it would all get spliced together and broadcast live via closed-circuit television and and so on. But this is the first time that this venue hosted a WrestleMania on its own, without sharing it with two other venues. Now, we begin this card with Willie Nelson singing the um, American National Anthem. Interesting take on that, I guess, Uh, before we go to see a promo by Marty Gennetti and Shawn Michaels. And it's just standard, you know, early 90s, late 80s, babyface promo. Um, We know they're big and strong, but we're going to go out there and do our best and, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, it's very similar, I suppose, to how we saw a promo on previous episodes of the the HBK podcast. Again, Janetti does a great deal of the talking. Sean has his say as well, but it's it's something of nothing really, uh, which is a kind of kind of a lot of the mid card guys back in that that era. These are the kind of promos they would cut. The the kind of. Almost cookie cutter, you know what they're going to say, and and so on. Maybe stems from the territory days when guys used to have to cut the same promo over and over again, but just changing the name of the city they were going to. Maybe that sort of plays into it, I'm not too sure. But anyway, the uh, pay-per-view begins with Gorilla Monsoon talking to us. He's going to be our lead commentator for this again. Uh, I suppose another little sort of historic note. This is the first WrestleMania where we don't have uh, Jesse Ventura in some form or another taking part. Bobby Heenan is going to be commentating on the rest of the event with Gorilla Monsoon. But the Rockers' opponents for this particular opening contest of WrestleMania are the Barbarian and Haku. Now, they are part of the Heenan family. So, Bobby Heenan is naturally going to be at ringside. So, when Heenan is at ringside with his particular charges, his particular clients during this show, we have Lord Alfred Hayes uh, popping up later on in the pay-per-view. But for this match here, for the opener, we... Oddly, yet Hacksaw Jim Duggan come to the ring, carrying his two by four, covered in the the American flag and shouting ho to the crowd and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Duggan does OK, I guess. I mean, the guy's more than confident, a more than confident talker. And, you know, he's been around the business quite a while by this stage. But I'm not 100% sure if commentary is, is his forte. He does OK. He does OK uh the the heels the team of haku and barbarian they're in the ring already and the rockers music hits and the crowd naturally as as they have done in the previous episodes we've looked at that they react hugely positively they they love these guys you know the crowd just pop for their music and they do the high energy running to the ring and spinning around the ropes and jumping about and all that sort of stuff and and again the, the energy's up the crowd are buzzing it's 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 a good way to open the pay-per-view i suppose having a tag team that is very popular very high energy and so on uh, on that note by the way this does begin a run of 3 Wrestlemanias uh, three consecutive years where sean opens the pay-per-view there are dark matches before the before the card goes live on pay-per-view of course but sean opens the pay-per-view for this Wrestlemania and then you know eight and nine as a solo performer he opens the card there as well so quite an interesting little run there Sean and Haku start the match um Sean goes for a leapfrog and he's caught in midair and he's sent into the corner and then bumped from one side to the other and back again and, and the commentators are telling the the tale that this is your 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 typical tale or challenge or story of power versus speed which is something that Sean kind of has tied to him for a great portion of his career because despite the fact that Sean is, you know, different times in his career he would go from sort of two hundred and twenty-five pounds up to up to two hundred and thirty-five, two hundred and forty, maybe touching that area, and he's six-one. I mean, that's that's not a small man, but in this era, especially of of professional wrestling and the WWF. It's Land of the Giants. And you look at his opponents. Haku may not be the tallest guy in the world, but here he is jacked. This guy is massive. And obviously the Barbarian is just an absolute monster as well. So the whole thing about Sean needing to use his speed and his uh, technique and quickness against larger opponents, it has kind of always been there. From his tag team days right the way through up to, I suppose, his last WrestleMania matches against The Undertaker. He has always been... Well, not always, but quite often for his career, had that label put against him, which is oh, I find quite interesting when you look at the, the differences between his tag team wrestling days and then what he does later on in his solo career. In these early exchanges, Sean does get a tag to Marty Giannetti. And we have some of the typical rockers, double team moves. Uh, we get a double hip toss, followed up by a double elbow drop. And then both Giannetti and Sean nip up onto their feet at the same time. Run towards the barbarian who hits them with a double clothesline, and both Ginetti and Michaels flip as they hit the air, uh, as they get hit by the huge monster of a man that the barbarian is, making his move and I suppose his all round general power look fantastic. It's a really brilliant piece of setting by both Ginetti and Michaels. Um, eventually, though, he eats two super kicks, a double super kick from Sean and Ginetti, and falls out the ring before things settle down a little bit into more of a I suppose traditional tag team style contest. Gennetti and the Barbarian are in the ring. Uh, Gennetti actually has a nice spot here where he tries a hurricane runner, and Michaels actually drop kicks uh, the the duo to help Gennetti get over because the Barbarian was too strong for Gennetti to sort of complete the move on his own. The heels eventually do take control though. And Marty Ginetti gets his throat just dropped across the top rope by the combination of Haku and the Barbarian in quite a cool moment. Um, Sean tries to get in the ring quite often to help Ginetti, especially when he's being double teamed by his his opponents. And this naturally goes... It's it's a good heat-drawing technique, I guess, because Sean will try and get in the ring. The referee will stop Sean, which he should do, because Sean's breaking the rules. And then behind his back... The heels were cheap, whether they're choking Gennetti or double-teaming him or so on. And then Sean's desperately trying to help his friend. The crowd are telling the referee to turn around. And it's just a great way of getting a reaction from the audience and building towards that that hot tag that we eventually get in the majority of tag team matches that are structured this way. Uh, the Barbarian then gets a bear hug on Marty Gennetti. So my heart sank a little bit there because I'm never a fan of that. Um, before Gennetti fights out of this and gets onto the middle rope, And he jumps off the middle rope towards the Barbarian, gets caught in mid-air, spun around, and just nailed into the canvas with a power slam. It is incredible. I I think the Barbarian, especially in this era, early 90s and so on, is incredibly underrated. I think the guy, I mean, as a power wrestler, he's never going to put on a a Dave Meltzer five-star classic or whatever nonsense may well be. But I think as a a mid-card guy, as a mid-card heel, big and strong, big powerful dude... He did a lot of things that at the time you looked at and go, wow, that looked good. Wow, that looked good. Oh, that looked good too. So I think it says a lot about what the Barbarian could do bell to bell. Uh, A big issue for the Barbarian, of course, was his, his promo skills. But then that's why, I guess, he was alongside Heenan for a great deal of his career. And then heading over to WCW with Haku, of course, and they became the faces of fear over there. He would be alongside Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart and so on in the Dungeon of Doom. So he always had a piece, I suppose. But yeah, the Barbarian, I think he could have been... Maybe maybe he could have done a bit more. Maybe he could have had some uh, solo runs with a good manager and, and so on. He, he potentially could have been a good foil for Hogan in the late 80s, early 90s, when Hogan was looking at that next big monster to slay, potentially. But hey, maybe that's a different timeline. Who knows? After Giannetti takes the big power slam, he's led in the ring just flat out. And the Barbarian goes to the top rope for a, a top rope diving headbutt. He misses this, which allows Giannetti to make the hot tag to Sean. Uh, Shawn Michaels fires up on Haku uh, and the Barbarian before uh, doing the spot in the corner. Now, I liked this. He's got Haku in the corner. He stood on the middle rope, Michaels that is. And he's doing the, the 10 punches to the head. And the crowd are counting along. One, two, three. That spot in itself, I dislike, first of all. Because if you're punching somebody in the head, in the same spot, ten times, you're going to damage them, you're going to damage your hand. And no one ever sells this shit. No one ever reacts to it, so it makes it look ridiculous. But the crowd counts along, and it is what it is. When Sean gets to six, however, he has a little look over his shoulder to see the barbarian running into the ring. And he just springs off the middle rope, twists in the air, and hits the barbarian with a crossbody. And I just thought that was... You don't see that sort of thing, especially in 1991. You don't see that sort of thing very often. That really stood out to me as being quite a cool little moment. Sean then gets a sunset flip attempt on Haku, but he can't quite get him over to attempt the pinfall. Gennetti comes back into the ring, uh, runs the ropes and hits Haku with a clothesline, which takes him over and allows Sean to get a near fall with a two count. Um, the Barbarian's back in the ring again. Genetti and Michaels, both still in the ring, hit a double dropkick to send the Barbarian out of the ring. And then they both head to the top rope. Haku was on the on the mat. They both head to the top rope. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking they're going for the double fist drop, which was their finisher. But Haku starts standing up. So I don't know. Uh, and again, p- please, people reach out on Twitter and so on and let me know if, if you're any wiser than I am. Uh, at SJP Words on Twitter or at SJP World Media is the network that carries this show. I don't know if... They were supposed to hit their double fist drop finisher and Sean or Giannetti then would win the match with that. Because Haku starts to stand up and we get a moment where both Ginetti and Michaels are kind of just, it's literally like a second, but they just kind of look a little bit like, oh shit, what do we do? Before Ginetti comes off the top rope and nails Haku with a drop kick, Haku then starts standing up again and then Michaels comes off the top rope on the other side with a crossbody block and gets the three count. So there we go. Sean wins his first WrestleMania match after what well, on his on his third attempt, I guess. But yeah, the finish was a little bit of a funny one. But again, decent opener. I mean this WrestleMania gets off to a good start, I I suppose with regards to rating this particular match. Um this is probably the the best of the three that we've seen so far uh it's it's a good little match good good heels face dynamic good tag team wrestling all very simple but it does the job the crowd are into it um i mean michaels and janetti look great haku and and the barbarian do their role very very well as as well the commentary is not spectacular but it is what it is I, i'd probably say a six a six out of ten from me for this one it does its job as a good opener, gets the crowd fired up and, and leaves the crowd happy after the first match because the baby faces win, so there we go. Uh, similar to the previous episode of the HBK pod, there's not much we can get from Sean himself with regards to his autobiography, Heartbreak and Triumph. Uh, to discuss about this match, there's literally no comment about it whatsoever. Uh, Sean discusses um, about winning the tag team titles from the heart foundation and then the ropes breaking and it not counting and then goes into more about he and giletti's split and what they decided to do on the screen with regards to that split as well which is something that we'll dive into a bit more next time on the hbk pod when we cover sean's first solo wrestlemania contest at wrestlemania eight but yeah in in sean's book there's there's no mention of this whatsoever but again i suppose I suppose you had a lot of matches on pay-per-views in the 80s and the early 90s that were just, I suppose, just there to get people on the card and to fill the card up. I mean, this WrestleMania itself. It's a mammoth show for the era. It's three and a half hours long. There's, I think, 14 matches, maybe 15 of a dark match, potentially, on the card, and... Some of them go go a while. The main event goes a good 20, 25 minutes. You also have Savage versus the Warrior on this card, which goes quite a long time as well. So it's quite a mammoth show, this one. And again, I suppose you, similar in a way, I guess, to the Warlord and the Bulldog, which is on this card as well. Those guys wrestled at pretty much every pay-per-view in 1991. But there wasn't a massive story. And it's the same as various other contests in, in the undercard um for these these pay-per-views you had a couple of feature bouts, and the rest were just matches put on the television if there was a bit of story there great if there wasn't it didn't really matter and this is kind of how this match feels it's very much a case of it's just there to open the show there's not much else going on with regards to uh, the rockers and, and their background at the time which i suppose leads into sean's mindset of Maybe it's time for him to go off and go solo in the coming months and so on. Um, By the time, like I said, we get round to the next WrestleMania, Sean is solo. uh, He has Sensational Sherry with him and he opens that show as well. And I think that one is actually in front of over 60,000 people in the Dome. But we will come to that next week there we go thank you so so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the hbk podcast here on sjp world media Uh, if you want to get in contact with me or find out about any other shows and content that i'm involved in or any of the contents that numerous other people are involved in or via sjp world media you can do on facebook twitter and all your podcast players platforms and providers and youtube as well and twitch and we're, we're bloody everywhere just track us down at SJP World Media you can catch all of the live shows that the network carries like Chain Wrestling on a Monday night live football coverage as well with The Volley we have uh, Matt Lewis Dan Griffin and Conor McCabe giving you alternative commentary and just a bit of a social place to hang out whilst the football's on and chat as well I guess it's always a good laugh with those guys on The Volley and then non-live content weekly. We have all sorts of podcasts coming out as well, looking at wrestling, TV, music, and all sorts. And loads more shows coming and shows returning that are finished for at the end of the season, like the Doctor Who pod and so on. Make sure you're checking all of that out. Give the network a follow. Give us a try and let us know what you think. You can reach out to me personally on Twitter, at sjpwords, And again, the network itself is at SJP World Media. Next week, WrestleMania 8. Sean opens the show again, Tito Santana, his first singles match. And we're probably going to talk a bit of the Rockers spitting up as well. Okay, so from me, the last thing to say I guess is, as always, thank you for listening.